we are starting this, this, this new series this week called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, based off of a book by uh, the same name. And again, it, it's a book I love. Um, so I'm super excited to get to share it with you all over the next uh, few weeks. And I've been wanting to do this series so badly because uh, I am convinced that this is a message we can't hear enough, and it's one we desperately need. Is this, is this keep falling down? Okay. I was like, is somebody pranking me? Just slowly. I saw people laughing. Just, I was like, what's happening? Thank you. All a part of the plan. Just, okay. Um, but it really is. It's a message we need to hear to, to slow down and relax. And so this, this book is great because the first half of it really talks about the problem. Hurry sickness, pathological hurriedness, all of these things. And we'll define some of these terms over the course of the series. Um, but what I love about the book uh, is that it also gives solutions, biblically based ways that, that we tackle hurry, that we tackle this hectic, hectic, crazy life that we live. Because so many of us do live it. We're in a rush. Um, I, I found a video this week that I want to share with you all because I think it kind of illustrates the way that we live our lives. And so I'm going to ask Sammy, uh, go ahead and let's, let's watch this video. Uh, those are some athletes right there. Uh, but I show you that video because <laughs> we do live in a hurried world. We're a hurry, hurried people. Maybe not quite to that extent. Uh, but really, hurry is, is, is something that, that I believe is at the root of so many of the problems we face, not only in ourselves, but in our, in our culture. And the author of this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he, he believed that too. Uh, the author is a pastor named John Mark Comer. 
He's a pastor of a church in Portland, and several years ago, he found himself struggling with burnout. He had come to, to kind of the end of his rope. It's, it's uh, an unfortunately common reality in ministry. Uh, but he had come to kind of the end of, of his rope, and he was thinking about quitting, leaving the ministry altogether, leaving the church. And so he decided that he would uh, call on an old friend, a mentor of his, uh, pastor and writer John Ortberg. It may be a name you're familiar with. Uh, John Ortberg has written lots of, of great books. I've used him. I've quoted him many times, I'm sure, in here. Uh, well, they, they met up for lunch, and they sat down, and, and John Mark Comer was explaining what he was going through. And Ortberg kind of sat there and listened, and he laughed. And he said, let me tell you a story. Ortberg said that when he was a young man around John Mark Comer's age, he went through the exact same thing. Found himself in a similar place, struggling, questioning his place in ministry, trying to figure out what his next step should be. And just like John Mark Comer did, he also called his mentor, Dallas Willard. Uh, and I've used Willard uh, a, a lot recently because he's kind of one of my new uh, obsessions, I guess. But Dallas Willard is a long time, was a longtime professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Um, he is widely considered to be one of the great Christian minds of the modern era. I mean, highly respected guy. Well, Ortberg calls Dallas Willard and he says, what do I need to do to become the me that I need to be? What can I do? And he said, Dallas Willard, this, this great philosopher, this highly educated man, paused. And it was quiet for a while. And his response was, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And Orberg said, at first he didn't understand. He said, okay, sure, what else? And Willard said, John, that's it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And isn't that interesting? Of all of the things that, that, that this brilliant theologian could prescribe this young pastor, and he says, deal with hurry. And not just deal with it, go to war with it. Ruthlessly eliminate it. I love that. Why? Why would he say this? Because hurry is increasingly one of the greatest threats to the health and wellness of our souls. Dallas Willard knew it, and so did so many others. Corey Ten Boom, the, the great Christian writer and Holocaust survivor, she once wrote that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung, Swiss psychiatrist, father of modern psychology, said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Great people throughout history have been extremely wary of the tremendous danger of hurry. And that includes Jesus. And we're going to see that in our scripture for today. So if you've got your Bibles or a Bible app on a cell phone, you can pull those out. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 35. This is what it says. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. 
Okay, so the first chapter of Mark is this, this kind of focused in picture of Jesus' first day of ministry. And what we read here is kind of the, the tail end of that day. On day one, Jesus gets up early. And Mark says that, that he goes immediately and he starts teaching in the synagogues. And from there, he goes and, and he starts healing. He's performing miracles and, and he's casting out evil. And, and he must have gotten to the end of this day and found himself worn out, exhausted, because he's been surrounded by people. Our scripture says the whole city was gathered around the door. Many came to him. So what does Jesus do? The next day, the Bible says he got up early, super early when it was still dark, and he went out to a deserted place and he prayed. In the very first chapter of Mark, we see Christ's power and divinity on full display. And then the very next morning, we see his humanity. He's exhausted. He needs a moment. He needs to recharge. And this isn't the only place we see this. We see this throughout Scripture. This was a common practice for Jesus. He would alternate and oscillate between time in community and time in quiet places by himself. Because Jesus was human. And he needed it. And you know what? So do we. And so the question for us tonight is, how did Jesus do it? How did he go about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from his life? And how do we? Tonight, we're going to start with the first two things that John Mark Comer suggests in his book. But more importantly, the two things that we see Jesus practice in our scripture. And the first thing is silence. Hurry comes in a variety of forms, but one of those forms is noise. I am super guilty of, of filling my life with constant noise. I try and go for a, a walk or a run every day, but I don't ever just run. I take the dogs with me. I listen to a podcast. I make a phone call, which I realize now is probably so brutal for people because I'll be talking to someone on the phone. And I'm like, <laughs> which is probably really distracting, but, but I also can't just drive somewhere. As Soon as I get in my truck, I turn on local sports radio every time. As soon as I get in my truck, I, I find an audiobook. Uh, and I can't ever just cook a meal. Not that I cook all that often, but when I do, I usually set up my computer and watch Netflix. <laughs> Whatever show I'm binging, I have it on in the background. I doubt that I'm the only person here who does those things. But it's just, it's a reality of who we are. We are a people who struggle with silence. Uh, I have something to confess to y'all. Uh, earlier, we, I showed y'all that video of the guys rushing around doing tasks super quickly, uh, but I actually had an ulterior motive in showing you that. You may have noticed that that video took a little longer to pop up. That's because I asked the tech team to wait 30 seconds before playing the video. And I did that because I wanted us to see how quickly we get uncomfortable in silence. You know, it's funny, I planned that, and I was getting anxious. 
Like it was my idea. I, I, I knew it was happening. I knew exactly how long it was gonna be. And still I was antsy. But honestly, how many of us, when, when we had those 30 seconds of awkward silence, how many of you thought, this is getting weird? I didn't plan the, the sliding, you know, uh, sliding uh, lectern thing, but, but how many of us thought, what's going on? I wish this video would start. What is, why isn't the tech team playing the video? Thank you so much, tech team, by the way. Yes, definitely, definitely. I called, I called them earlier and I was like, I'm gonna make you look bad for just a minute. But how many of us got uncomfortable? It was literally, Sammy timed it for me, 30 seconds. That's all it was. And still, it felt uncomfortable. It didn't feel right. It just goes to show what a hard time we have with this. We aren't used to the quiet. We feel awkward in silence, and so we choose to fill that, that void in our lives with noise. But it's not a healthy thing for our souls. C.S. Lewis agreed with that. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, there's, there's this senior demon screw tape. And the whole book is, is this senior demon writing to a younger demon, and he's teaching him how to corrupt a man. It's a brilliant book. C.S. Lewis has this, this brilliant way to approach um, teaching us how, how we, things keep us from God, basically. Well, in the book, uh, Screwtape, the senior demon, is, is writing to his younger protege, and he says that the devil's realm is a kingdom of noise. And he says their whole plan is to, quote, make the whole universe noisy in the end. And the reason that, that these two fictional bad guys want to do that is because God so often speaks in the quiet. God speaks in the silence, in the desert places. That's why Jesus goes off to a deserted, quiet place to pray. He's going to talk to God because he knows that it would be a whole lot easier to hear from God when it's quiet. He had spent the whole first day of his ministry surrounded by people, surrounded by noise, and he just needed a moment when the kingdom of noise wasn't blaring in his ears. Because that's the place when we're freed up to hear something new. I, I read a great story this week about uh, Ludwig von Beethoven. Uh, as you may know, Beethoven began going deaf when he was 28 years old, and he was eventually completely unable to hear by his 44th birthday. Uh, well, Beethoven was, of course, extremely troubled by the loss of his hearing. Uh, in fact, partially out of anger and partially because he was trying to hear what he was playing, he would bang on pianos so hard that he would go through them like nothing. I mean, he would destroy them. Uh, well, after he lost his hearing completely around his 44th birthday, uh, Beethoven was depressed. He was convinced that that his ability to create music, to create his art, his passion, was over. And yet, when he was 53 years old, he produced the best music of his career, culminating in the incomparable Ninth Symphony, a composition that, that literally reinvented classical music. Harvard professor Arthur Brooks wrote, uh, he wrote this about the, this interesting reality of Beethoven's life. 
He said, it seems a mystery that Beethoven became more original and brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. I love that. It was in the silence. It was in the quiet that Beethoven was able to hear something new. He no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears, and that allowed him to hear and compose the most beautiful thing he ever made. And you know what? The same thing is true for us. If we want to hear something new from God, sometimes we need to find quiet places. We need to turn down or or turn off society's soundtrack and give God room to speak to us. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be 30 seconds. Or it can be finding a quiet place in your home to pray throughout your day. It can be going on a walk without headphones. It can be driving to work or to church or wherever without the radio on, just praying instead. However we do it, however you find it, wherever you find it, we need it. We need to find ways to build silence into our lives so we can hear that still, small voice of God. That's what Scripture calls God's voice, a still, small voice. So we can hear God speak something new to us. We need silence so that we can recharge ourselves like Jesus did. Silence is the first way we see Jesus combat uh, hurry in our Scripture. Uh, And the second is solitude. Notice in our scripture, it says that Jesus gets up while it's still dark to go to the deserted place. He makes sure to get up when nobody can see him. It's almost like he's sneaking away because he knows he needs to be alone for a while in order for him to continue to do the amazing ministry he was doing, in order for him to to continue doing what he was put on earth to do. He needed some time apart. I love what Henry Nouwen, the Dutch priest and professor at uh, Yale, once wrote. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. See, constantly surrounding ourselves with people can be just another form of filling our lives with noise. It's just another way to do it. I think sometimes we think that if we're with others, if, if, if we surround ourselves with people and activity, then we don't have to be alone with ourselves. And you know what? That may help us run from uncomfortable things temporarily. But eventually, if we take the spiritual life seriously, like Nouwen says, we have got to learn to be alone with ourselves and, and, and with God. Because moments of solitude can be surprising. Moments of solitude can be healthy. They can be recuperative for our souls. Uh, I read a great article on Christianity Today this week, uh, written by uh, uh, Pastor Brett Badorf. Brett was stationed for a time at the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. He's at the South Pole. And this is one of the most remote places on, on the planet. 
I mean, when he was there, he was more than 800 miles away from any other human beings. Well, at the South Pole, on, at any given time, there are between 50 and 150 people who live there for short periods uh, in order to continue the research that's done by the United States Antarctic Program. And Brett was assigned essentially to be their pastor, to be the chaplain. He said when he got this assignment, he expected to find that in this silence and solitude, um, his connection with Christ would be challenged, that it would rattle him, that the South Pole was going to be this, this spiritual mountain for him to climb. Uh, but instead, he discovered what he calls the, the blessing of solitude. And I want to read you a section of, of this article because I think he puts it so beautifully. This is, is what Reverend Badorf says. He says, I should have known better. Christ frequently withdrew to desolate places like the desert, often at night. So while our environment elicits plenty of side effects and moments of tension over time, Christians, especially here, have leaned into instead of away from the solitude. None of the Christians here feel called to spend the rest of their lives in the desert. Antarctica is technically a desert with little precipitation. But it's impossible to deny the benefits of a season set apart. In the modern, non-Antarctic world, it can be difficult to find places to be alone. We are surrounded by real and virtual community throughout good portions of our days. And when we do need to set apart moments of meditation with our God, knowing how to handle stillness can be almost as challenging as finding it. Solitude can be hard. There's no doubt about it. It can be hard to find. It can be hard to experience when we're in the midst of it, but, but it can also be surprisingly powerful. Now look, just like these, these people at the South Pole, we're not meant to stay in solitude forever. As we've talked about plenty of times in here, we are made to be in community. But at the same time, we're also made to have a personal, intimate relationship with our Creator. And sometimes we do that most effectively when it's just us and God. When we shut out the distractions and the noise and the busyness and the hurry of the world. And the challenge for us is balancing those things so that we aren't overly isolated or overly inundated with people, with constant stimulation. It's a hard balance to strike, but again, I think Jesus shows us the way in our scripture. When does Jesus go find solitude and silence? It's after an exhausting day of ministry. Jesus retreats to the deserted place because he knew himself well enough to know that he needed some time. And maybe even more importantly, Jesus loved himself enough to give himself that time. And so maybe it's that simple. Maybe that's what we need to do. Know ourselves and love ourselves enough to give ourselves the gift of time with God. Know ourselves and love ourselves enough to, to give ourselves the gifts of silence and solitude. Because if Jesus Christ, God himself, the savior of the world, the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth, needed some quiet time, some time alone, some silence and solitude, then we shouldn't be ashamed to say we need it too.
Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, in the silence of this moment, we thank you. We thank you for all of the gifts you've provided us, all these ways that we can combat hurry that we're going to be talking about. Lord, for so many of us, we don't even know where to begin with silence and solitude. We've got too much to do. We've got screaming kids. We've got things that need to be accomplished and, and dates that need to be met, and, and it just seems impossible. But God, help us to carve out some time. Help us to know ourselves and love ourselves enough to give ourselves this time. Help us to prioritize time with you. Time set apart. Time in deserted places where we can just talk and be ourselves and recharge and recover. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray all of this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.